We have a special, another special treat for you today, and that is we've had all kinds of events and activities here in the life of our congregation this past week, including a gathering of people from all around the country that belong to another ministry that we've been connected with for more than 30 years. That's called Disciple Heritage Fellowship. I've served on that board there for many, many years. A fellow board member, Rick Grace, who works with a number of seminaries around the country, in addition to being a local pastor in northwest Arkansas, is with us today. And I've asked Rick to take the pulpit for us today. But before, you do, before he comes, would you take your Bible, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 9. If you're a guest with us today and you don't own a Bible, you can see that there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you here in the east, in the west. Pardon me, in the west, in the east. It's uh, somebody's walking around with some right now. We'd invite you to turn to page 1481. We're going to look in about one of the stories of Jesus, and uh, we'd look forward to having you participate. Would you welcome Rick, please? Thank you, Wayne. Nancy and I were privileged here a few years ago. Uh, to spend almost a month in Africa with Gary and his wife, Judy. And one of the things that we learned quite quickly is that Africans have a different sense of personal space than Americans do. Now, you, you know what I mean, personal space? This is how close you do or do not sit next to each other. If you ever go to Africa, wipe out your sense of personal space. We were sitting in a village, and I, I love kids, and for some reason, kids seem to love me, and they like to kind of crawl all over me. And uh, this one young little African girl was kind of hanging on my shoulders and was sitting behind. And then all of a sudden, the next thing I noticed is that she has reached her hand down the front of my shirt. Now, as an American, I'd never had that happen to me before. I kind of thought that was a little bit strange. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm a visitor in their country and I don't want to offend anybody. So whatever, go for it. Now, some of you men will appreciate this. The next thing she did was make a fist and pull. <laughs> ah! Okay. I really wish you wouldn't do that again. <laughs> I didn't know how to say that, so I just hugged her and let her. Personal space is different, all right? <laughs> Be that as it may, I want to get in your space. That was kind of the segue. Wayne, was that Okay. It's working. Okay, we're going to try it. How many of you have ever been surprised at one time or another in your life of somebody that God called as their special child? Anybody ever been amazed at that? Seriously, you look over and say, you, you see somebody and, and God has just poured a blessing in their life and your first thought is, really? That's the one? And it's kind of like, okay, God, what about me? What happened? I will admit to you that I've kind of struggled with that over my life. But I want to tell you this, there was nobody in the world that was more surprised when God called me to ministry than I was. And my first thought was like, really? See, I was that kind of kid in high school. Let me admit this, I was not a good student. I knew the principal, the vice principal. I knew them all on first name basis. Okay, not just because my father taught at that school. I, I was invited to go see them with a degree of regularity. I, I was one of those kids that, I, I was kind of an introvert at that time in my life. I avoided speech classes. I avoided things like musicals and dramas 
because it would put you in front of people and I did not want to be in front of people. And then God said, guess what? I'm gonna call you to be in front of people. And I went, really? Are you sure this is what you wanna do? But you know, one of the things, I'm very glad that he's called me in that direction. But over the last 40 years, one of the things that I've really grown in is my understanding of what it means to be called. And I've kind of flip-flopped in my understanding. I don't think being called of God is a special status that's reserved for the elite kinds of special ops like Pastor Wayne and Pastor Brian, okay? As a matter of fact, let me give you the underlying idea for the message. I call it my thesis. Every Christ follower is called of God. You are first called as a child of God And then you are called to kingdom service because you are a child of God. But I want you to remember that phrase. And it doesn't matter if you're here or if you're in the East Auditorium. By the time you leave today, I want you to simply remember this. I am a called child of God. Would you say that with me? I am a called child of God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. And this is when that special call came to a man named Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, that's a pretty simple exchange between two men. All Jesus does is walk up to the IRS station and look at this guy and say, hey, come on, follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. Now, I don't know about you, I find that to be somewhat striking. For a lot of reasons. Number one, it was very common in the day of Jesus for rabbis to go around and call people. But they didn't just call anybody. There was a couple of three statuses that you had to go through in order to prove that you could memorize scripture, that you could do a lot of the spiritual disciplines, and then if you got to be one of the upper echelon, then you could be called to follow a rabbi, and when you called him, you were to walk closely behind him. So the phrase derived from that, I walk to be covered in my rabbi's dust. In other words, I walk with him that close. Jesus didn't do that. He did not go to the elite. Who did he go to? The IRS agents. I don't know that's where I'd start. How many of you just love IRS agents? Who else does he go to? Political revolutionaries. How about putting a political revolutionary and an IRS agent in the same room and say, you guys play nice with each other. And they did that for three years. Pretty amazing when you think about it. Jesus chose from the rejects and the marginalized of society to start a movement that would impact the world. Now, I'm pretty impressed with the immediacy of Matthew's response. Come, follow me. What does Matthew do? He gets up and he follows. (laughs) My story's a little bit different. I fought God off. But I'm glad God finally won. But in this brief little exchange, there's three ideas I want to bring to you today. But would you pray with me before we start? Father, in the words of the psalmist, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our strength. You are our redeemer. And I pray, God, as we look at the calling of Matthew as it's described in Scripture, may we understand how you are calling us. For every Christ follower is called of you. 
So Lord, let these ideas become foundational for discipleship, foundational for who we are as we live to the praise of your glory. And we give you the glory now, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here's the first idea. When you respond to the call of Jesus, you are given a new identity. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, you really, really hope and pray that some of the things in your past never come to light. Is that true for anyone? Yeah, certainly is true in my life. I am so grateful that within 30 years of this, the Apostle Paul writes to a church at Corinth and says this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and all things have been made new. I am so glad that when I said yes to Jesus and responded to his call in my life, that the old things passed away and that God started this new thing from the inside out. But here's what I find interesting in this passage. There are four stories about the life of Jesus in the Bible. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And out of those four stories, the call of Matthew is listed in three of those stories. And in two of those stories, he is not called Matthew. He is called Levi. Now, I find that to be kind of interesting. As you're reading the Bible, when you start noting some of those kinds of things, well, that's not exactly what this guy said. Let the Holy Spirit kind of take you back to those things and kind of start looking to see what's happening in the passage. So let's talk about why they call him Levi. Where does that name come from? Well, it comes from the most dysfunctional family in the early part of the Bible. There's a guy named Jacob who thought for some reason it would be a good idea to marry two sisters. Could you tell me on what planet is it a good idea to marry sisters? Now, one of those sisters is described as lovely in face and in form. Now, that sounds like my wife. Did that score? Did I do good with that one? Okay. Now, the other sister is described as being weak in eyes. Weak in eyes. Okay. So I kind of looked that one up. And, and here's my version of it. She had blue eyes. One blue east and one blue west. <laughs> you liked that one, didn't you? <laughs> so all of a sudden, Jacob decides he wants to marry these two sisters. He really loves the one that's fair in form. And he's yeah, kind of okay with the other one. So God does this wonderful thing and lets the other one, the unloved spouse, she starts having children. Wow. And by the time she gets to her third child, she decides to name him Levi, which in Hebrew means attached or connected. And it was her hope. Now that I've given my son, now that I've given my husband three sons, he's going to become connected to me. He's going to be attached to me. I'm going to be the favorite wife. Guess how that worked out? Not real good. But the two other writers of the biographies of Jesus, Luke and Mark, want you to know that it's Levi. Because Levi, all of his life, wanted to fit in. He wanted to be attached to his culture and to his community. And he never was, so he sold himself out to the Romans and became a tax collector. Now, it's hard for us, maybe, 
to understand just how, how disdainful IRS agents were in the first century. Can you all imagine that? How disdainful were they? How did you get to be an IRS agent in the first century? You bought your job. Can you imagine that? Buying a political job. Thank God that doesn't happen anymore. Okay. Here's how you bought your job. You would look at the community and think, huh, this community maybe ought to be able to raise, I don't know, let's say $50,000 off this community. So you would bid to the Roman government 60000 You'd go over it so you could get the job. Okay? So you literally sold yourself out to a foreign government. That didn't go over real good in most cultures. So how did you make money off that? Whatever you could collect over and above the 60000 you pocketed. Ooh. So not only were they looked at as enemy agents, as traitors, they were looked at as crooks. So here's the irony. The one who, whose name was attached was detached from his culture, from his friends. But when he tells the story of how Jesus called him, how does he refer to himself in the Bible? The call of Matthew. Isn't that interesting? Because he's leaving the old life behind. And now he wants to be called Matthew. Do you know what the word Matthew means? The name? Any, any children? Anybody named Matthew? It means the gift of God. For those of you in the East Auditorium, we have a winner. It means the gift of God. Do you see what just happens in Matthew's life? He went from being one who hoped for attached to be attached, but never was until Jesus stepped into his life. And when Jesus stepped into his life, he transformed him. And now he can offer himself to us as the gift of God. And the gift of God is the gift that keeps on giving because he, Matthew, writes this wonderful story about Jesus that you guys are spending 30 weeks studying together, all because Jesus gave him a new identity. Because once you become attached to Jesus, now please hear this line. You are no longer identified by what you were. You are now identified by whose you are. Do you see that distinction? I do not want to be identified by my God from what I was like. Thank God he now identifies me. My new identity is based on the one to whom I belong. In a wonderful book called Abba's Child, Christian author Brennan Manning says this, you must learn to define yourself radically as one beloved of God. God's love and his choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. It is the truest thing about who you are. The truest thing about you right now is that if you have said yes to the call of Jesus is that you are Abba's child. The truest thing about you is that you are a gift of God. Here's what I want you to do, both here and in the East Auditorium. Turn to somebody next to you and look them right in the eye without smiling or laughing and tell them you are a gift of God. Go. Now I said no laughing. Why is that so hard? Isn't that interesting? When you want to look somebody eyeball to eyeball and tell them a gift of God, there's almost something embarrassing about that. 
That is the truest thing about who you are. Carry that with you today. Number two, when you respond to the call of God, he gives you a new priority. Well, that only makes sense. If I have a new identity, then I should establish a new priority. Let's talk about Matthew for a little bit more. Matthew was a tax collector. In today's dollars, it has been estimated that Matthew's income would have been somewhere in the mid-six figures. Now, that one got some eyebrows up. Now, I, I need to admit this to you. I have never in my life ever quite figured out what it would be like to live on a half million dollars a year. I would like to try. I have no idea what it's like. So let's interview Pastor Wayne and see what that's really like. <laughs> okay, that one didn't work either. <laughs> okay. Now, even though Matthew was hated and Matthew was disdained by his culture, how many of you would still guess walking away from a half million a year would have been a difficult choice? Uh-huh. I think it sure would have been for me. And yet that's what Matthew does. His priority in life went from making money to following Jesus. The focus of his life shifted from self to the Savior. And here's what Matthew gained along the way. He may have lost a job, but he gained a kingdom, kingdom of God. He may have lost an income, but he gained his integrity. And he may have lost his financial security, but he gained a purpose in his life that was going to live longer than himself and touch people that he could hardly imagine would somehow be touched. Now, let's be very clear. When you say yes to the call of God and you become a Christ follower, the old priorities have to go. Matthew proves that. Go back to Matthew chapter 9 with me. Look at verse 16. Now, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour wine into old wine skins, because if they do, the skins will burst and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Now, do you think Jesus is really interested in giving a textile lesson? I don't think he's really concerned about garments and patches and wineskins. So what's his image? Let's boil it down to its bottom line. Because I think here it is. You can't simply take Jesus as an add-on and put him onto the old priorities of your life. It's not gonna work. Jesus will not be treated as an add-on. Jesus is not some kind of drop-down menu on your computer that you can click and say, okay, for the next week, I will do this with Jesus and try to add him on to my existing list of priorities. Because Matthew wants to tell you, that's not gonna work. You're gonna, the new wine ferment, ferments and when it does, it pulls the patch away, destroys the old skin, everything drains out. So when you come to Jesus, not only does he give you a new, a new identity, he also has to redo your priorities. Let me tell you about a new wineskin. Gary Woods, who you just heard from a few minutes ago, was in our home in, in Arkansas uh, just a, a few weeks ago. And Gary connected us on the Saturday before Easter by a video chat with some new sisters in Christ that we have that live in East Africa. And that's as close as we're going to get in the identification. And these 
new sisters in Christ, all came to Jesus from a Muslim background. And one of the things that may surprise you then is that even though they are now Christian, they still wear the hijab, okay? They are completely covered. But it's not because they're Muslim anymore. They have to do that for protection. But they protect themselves when they go back into Islamic communities and start telling people about Jesus. You think that's a new priority in those ladies' lives, in your sisters' lives? Is that a new priority? Yes. It is. I don't know that I'd be comfortable doing that. And I just need to be upfront with you on that. One of these new believers was so looking forward to her first Easter as a Christian that she wrote Jesus a song. And over the video chat, had, there was so much ambient noise on, on, on the inside of where they were that she went outside and sang to us in her native language this new song that she'd written for Jesus. I just wanted to weep of someone who had gave up so much to find so much in the Lord Jesus. Oh, my brothers and sisters, every Christ follower is called and given a new identity and a new priority. And sometimes that priority means that we take a risk to embrace this kingdom of God. And what Matthew would tell you this morning is whatever you had to give up to say yes, is more than worth it because our God is more than worthy. Number three, last idea. When you respond to the call of Jesus, you're given a new activity. Well, that makes sense too because the activity will re reflect your priority which reflects your identity and it all because we are new in Jesus. Go to Matthew chapter nine, start at verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, do you see what just happened? First thing that Matthew did was throw a party. I like Matthew, especially as there's food involved, amen? And chocolate, there's gotta be chocolate. There will be chocolate in heaven. Can I get an amen? <laughs> East Auditorium, can give me an amen? There's gotta be an amen on that one. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with his disciples. And when the disciples saw this, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors, sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call the sinners. See, Matthew's first action was to throw a party. And at this dinner party, he invited his friends. Now, let me tell you how that is unusual. Dinner meetings, dinner, having dinner with somebody in the first century Semitic culture was an infrequent activity. You just didn't do it. It just wasn't a cultural thing. If you ever invited anyone to a dinner party without saying a word, you just told them, I want to develop with you an intimate friendship. None of this casual come to our house and we'll do the, the cookout and we'll watch the Decatur Staley's, <laughs> who are now the Chicago Bears, right? Just making sure you know your history, okay? That didn't happen in the first century. If you invited somebody to dinner, it was an open invitation to intimate friendship. Do you see what Matthew just did? Matthew went to the very people he was comfortable with, tax collectors and sinners. These were his network of relationships. And he invited Jesus and them into the same context so that they could find in Jesus the same friendship that Matthew 
had developed. Most of us find our relationships, our network of relationships, first in the family, church, work, neighborhood. Those are the very areas that Jesus wants you to take him into, to take him to your workplace. doesn't mean you have to beat people over the head with a 25-pound King James Bible. Okay, that's not the point. But you go there representing Jesus because you have a new identity. You're Abba's child. You have a new priority. It is the focus of the kingdom. And I take my network of relationships and begin to build bridges so that people too can become friends of Jesus. Timothy Keller, who is the pastor of the Redeemer Presbyterian Church, New York City, says this. Your vocation is part of God's work in the world. And God gives you the resources, resources for serving Jesus and your community right there. This is your calling. What is my calling? Well, like Matthew, it's to throw a party and to invite people to meet Jesus and develop a friendship. I want to leave you with this thought. I want to introduce you, if you do not know this brother in Christ, who you will never meet until heaven. Now, I know that to be true because he was killed in April of 1945. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a German pastor, German scholar and theologian, who was an absolute pacifist and yet was involved in an attempt to assassinate Adolf Hitler. He was taken to one of the worst concentration camps, Buchenwald camp, and was hanged in the nude as a way to embarrass and humiliate him two weeks before the Allies liberated that camp. And one of the most famous books that Bonhoeffer ever wrote, it's called The Cost of Discipleship. And out of that book, let me boil it down to this one phrase. This is a quote from Bonhoeffer. When Jesus Christ calls a man, he bids him or her come and die. Now, I don't know about you, that doesn't play real well. Well, let's look at it under these three things. When Jesus Christ calls me, he bids me to die to my old identity, that he might create a new one as Abba's child. When he calls me to die, it's to die to my old priorities so that the kingdom becomes the focus of my life. And he calls me to die to the safety of my little enclaves that I like to build around me. And he calls me to die to that to run the risk of touching lives so that through me, others are invited into an intimate friendship with Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, let me remind you, you are called of God. Every Christ follower is. And I hope that Levi stays behind today and that you leave as Matthew, a fresh gift of God to your community. Father, We come humbly before you today. We expect and anticipate, Father, that you have spoken to us because your word is powerful. So, Father, we invite you that whatever it is you want to do right now, whatever it is you want to do in our lives, Father, we give you permission. Lord, we declare our love for you. And as you called Matthew, God, 
call us and let us live out that call, Father, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And let us live, Father, to the praise of your glory. We ask God in the blessed name of Jesus.